welcome everyone. Week five of week of six weeks, so you've done really well. You should pat somebody on the back and say you're doing a fantastic job. We'll see how we go. We have uh, some folks who aren't able to be here tonight, and they've sent their apologies, and I appreciate that. So let's make a start. I'm going to invite my wife, Heather, to come and read. Well, it's almost a little bit of a devotion thing, so you can just relax and listen, and then I'll, uh, I'll um, pray with us all. She's going to read a little piece from Anne Graham Lotz. If you don't know who Anne Graham Lotz is, she's uh, the oldest... No, I don't know whether she's the oldest daughter. Anyway, she, she's a daughter of the famous Dr Billy Graham and uh, she's a fantastic preacher. I've had Heather and I have had the privilege of hearing her uh, in person on a couple of occasions. Wonderful preacher, very, very good preacher, passionate Bible student and teacher and Heather came across this little piece the other day, which really dovetails into what we've been trying to do. So I'll get her to read it, and I'll pray with us. And her father called her the best preacher in the family. So any time I see one of her books, I grab it. Several summers ago, while our family was vacationing at the beach, I got up early to meet the Lord for a few moments of quiet before the family awakened. As I sat on the porch watching the sun come up over the ocean and listening to the gentle crash of the waves on the shore, the Lord seemed to whisper to my heart, what do you see? I looked more closely at the scene before me and answered him in my spirit. I see little sandpipers running along the edge of the water, making sure they keep out of reach of the waves and don't even get their feet wet. I see the skimmers flying down the beach skimming the surface of the water with their long beaks. I see seagulls standing in the tide up to their knees, and I see the pelicans that circle, then dive headfirst into the waves, coming up with fish they seem to swallow whole. Then the Lord seemed to say to me, The Bible is like the ocean, and the people who read my word are very much like those birds. Some will dance around the scriptures, not really wanting to step in and get their feet wet in Bible study. They are satisfied to just listen to their preacher or Bible teacher tell them what the Bible says. Others will read their Bibles, just skimming the surface for facts and information. Some will get in knee-deep, reading the Bible each day with a devotional or commentary close by for reference. And then there are some, like the pelicans, who dive in over their heads, going deep in Bible study, applying and living out what they learn. Which bird are you most like? I answered with wholehearted passion, Lord, I'm not sure which one I am from your perspective, but I know which one I want to be. Please take me in deeper into your word. And he has. Well, Father, we've been uh, trying to understand more of your word and in the process of that it's about understanding more of who you are and it's not so much of us understanding all of that at the end of the day it's just about how much you've actually got hold of us and you're transforming and changing our lives moment by moment we are so grateful about that and we are so uh, wanting to go deeper into you we admit that at times in life for us there are many things that push against that so we want to declare with open hands and hearts right now that it's about you. We worship you because you are majestic and holy. 
you are indeed awesome. And one glimpse of you just completely changes our lives forever. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his cross. Thank you that he's alive, present now with us in this room. And as we share together and encourage one another in, in what it means to, to know you and to read your word as part of that knowing and to understand more of you, would you be here? We pray, would you be with us? Would you be present with us? Take away the stresses and the events of the day, both the positive and negative things. Just allow us these moments, these precious moments together to know more of you. And we ask in doing that for our sisters and brothers seated here with us that you might bless them, that they might be aware of the presence of your spirit in their lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Well, good to see you all. Um, Who's learned all the Bible verses? Anybody? Can anybody recite uh, the third one yet? Which is, uh, if I find it quickly, is, what is it? 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 and 21. Anybody learnt that yet? No? Yes? All right, let's hop to our feet, shall we? We ready? Let's go with 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 and 21. Okay. You know the deal by now, so why don't you just jump straight in, find a partner and read it backwards and forwards to one another. Okay, one, two, three, go. Okie doke, it sounds like we've learnt them. That's all good. Grab a seat. Very good. You're all doing, doing really well. Who believes in the grace of God and the mercy of God and the free gift and favour of God? Anybody actually really believe in that? Who would like this book? Anybody like this book? Anybody like this book? It's, hey, by the way, this is a book I, I got from Kurong. It's very expensive at $3.99. Uh, but it's a great read. I, I haven't read it all, but I, as Heather was getting tea ready the other night, I was reading. Don't say boo, because if I was getting tea ready, it would be a bad experience. But um, I got hooked in this book. This is a great book about how the Bible actually came to be and together. The writer, Nick Page, is very funny, but it's very helpful. And I'm not going to do any teaching about how the scriptures came together because a massive topic, okay? And, but you can do a lot of reading around that subject for yourself. Fascinating history. So who would like this book? Anybody? Well, it's here. You can read my copy. There you are. I, th- I think Judy was about the closest. What do you reckon? Give her a clap. I think she is about to get it. Free gift. There you go. So if you see that book in Kurong, um, it's, certainly worth, it's certainly worth your while getting. I did mean to bring tonight a, a couple of copies to show you of, of a book that an Australian lady's put together, a couple of books about the history of the Bible in Australia. I'll make sure I bring them 
next week. They're in the current Kurong catalogue um, and I've begun to read some of that and that, that actually could be a very helpful read for us to, to see how the, the Bible's impacted Australia's national history. It's quite fascinating. And uh, uh, I'll, I forgot to put it in my kit bag to show you. This, this is a good... Uh, is anybody familiar... Are you familiar with the writer or the theologian N.T. Wright? Have you heard of him? Who has? One or two of you? That's a book worth getting called Surprised by the Scripture... Um, bit of a different perspective on, on the Bible and the scriptures but worth your purchase at some time if you're into reading a bit of uh, heavier stuff and can I say at the moment this book How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth on, uh, well, we're on Kindle, I use Kindle but I don't know what other people use but I think that's out there for about 3 or $4 American it's about 24 bucks at Kurong paper copy so if, you, if you're an electronic reader, e-book reader, right now, that's a very cheap buy. It's normally heaps more than that. And can I encourage you all to get a personal copy of this? This is so helpful. It's such a helpful book. So it's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I've put it in your notes uh, several times. Um, Gordon, uh, Gordon D. Fee and Douglas Stewart, both... Uh, professors of theology and so forth. Fee taught at Regents College in Vancouver, Canada and other places. Um, it is just such a helpful book, that one. It's one of those that, that's on your shelves and will reward you handsomely. Their companion volume, to, by the way, to that one was How to Read the Bible Book for, by Book. Once again, a very helpful book in terms of uh, really good introductions to each book of the Bible and so forth and so on. And if you happen to be, I think this, this series is still in print. It's called the Think, uh, Thinking Clearly series. <clears throat> A fellow called Derek Tidball, or Tidball, he's uh, um, an English Baptist. He's written <clears throat> this book called The Bible. Um, if you see it in a second-hand bookshop... <laughs> He's actually written the Bible, and that's the title. Um, worth getting, that's quite funny. Worth getting hold of. Great, great help, that one. Okay, enough for the, uh, the promotionals from there. How, how are you tracking? Without going into any great detail, has anybody made any sort of determination in your life? Hey, I'm going to get serious about reading this, or I'm going to get serious about studying this, or whatever. Because studies sort of say that you can go and hear somebody speak at a conference or get taught some stuff or whatever, but if you don't actually, yeah, if you don't decide within a certain period of time, it'll just be info and you won't actually make any changes. So I'm not asking you to put up your hands or anything like that, but have there been some places in your lives where you've said, you know what, I'm going to study the book of John or... I want to find out more about Old Testament prophecy or whatever, whatever. Just, I'm going to give you 30 seconds on your piece of paper to, to write down something that you actually think you will do in the next, you know, next month you're going to do whatever it might be. I think we've got, you know, it might be that you're going to start reading the Bible right through from one end to the other, things like that or whatever, I don't know. 
30 seconds just to jot something down for you to jog your memory. Okay, as you're coming to the end of that, last, last week we, um, we got into a little bit of discussion about the original languages of the Bible. Bible written in Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek, only small portions of Daniel and I think it was Ezra is the other place, but don't quote me, um, are written in Aramaic and the New Testament's written in Greek. And we had a little discussion about the pros and the cons of... of uh, original language and how that affects us in terms of our understanding and studying. Um, and I think we left people fairly guilt-free about that. But I want to encourage you, if, if, you, if you are a, a, a language um, nerd or love studying languages and it comes easily to you and you want to do it, can I encourage you to, to do it in some form? There are colleges or other places, you can learn online, all, all sorts of places for learning. But don't stress yourself about it, okay? The translations are good. Robin Carter, give him a big welcome as he comes. Our brother Robin um, has given you a piece, of, uh, uh, this double-sided thing there. Just a, Robin wants to talk just a little bit about uh, sometimes when uh, the original languages are very helpful for us. Is that basically Thank, right? Thanks, John. I'm just going to speak for two or three minutes. You've got a copy of couple of examples. I've got about 60 or 70 of those sort of articles that give some sort of insight into what the original language can reveal about the way we understand the English and show how we often misinterpret what God intended from our English translation. There's one uh, quote which is at the bottom of these, um, the, the did Eve come from Adam's rib. At the bottom of that article you say um, to read the Bible always and only in a translation, meaning from the Greek or Hebrew, is like listening to Bach, you know, all the wonderful orchestral expressions of that, always and only played on a harmonica. You certainly get the tune, the message of God's grace and love, but you will miss pretty much everything else. So there's a depth of understanding which the Hebrew and the Greek can bring out that will help bring the Bible alive in ways that you hadn't perhaps imagined before. And the example is uh, one example, well, which there's a couple there I've given you. Maybe did Jesus forbid remarriage? And sometimes churches divide and split over these sort of things. In the English, the Bible, you read it as it says, it says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And you read that and you think, oh, no one who gets a divorce should ever remarry and some people faithfully remain single for the rest of their lives when their husband's gone off and had an affair or vice versa. And so they, they're trying to be faithful to God's word. But when you read this here and understand the context and what was going on at the time that she, the, the Pharisees asked, trying to trick Jesus, asked him uh, the question about um, divorce, um, I'll let you read the detail, but in, in one sentence... There were two schools of, uh, like there's lots of teachers around now, some are very liberal and say it doesn't matter too much how you interpret the Bible and you can do what you like. There's others that are really conservative, the same was around at Jesus' time. He was another one of those teachers that people listened to. Some were saying, well, you know, if, I, if you just see someone that's a bit more attractive, you can divorce your wife and go and marry someone else. And the liberal, permissive 
interpretation of the law would make that okay. And the really conservative scholars would say, well, no, the Moses permitted divorce. Divorce is legitimate in some situations, but as the article points out, it's very clear what those unfaithfulness, abuse or abandonment was the basis that Moses allowed divorce and obviously you could remarry. Um, so the key thing to understand that particular verse that on face value in English looks like it makes a very clear rule that a faithful Christian should follow in the context Jesus was just saying, no, when, when you think you can just eye off someone else, divorce your wife and marry someone else, that's adultery. Cause your wife to commit adultery if she marries someone else. It's all just, there's no real basis and reason, therefore it's wrong. But um, he wasn't saying you could never divorce, he was just saying it can't be something that's done very quickly and simply. So that's one example. And then over the page you've got another example of the whole idea of um, in the English, it's just been translated and we've, I grew up with this understanding until I read something like this. I just assume that's what the Hebrew meant. But I'll let you read the detail. But again, the idea, the, the Hebrew word translated rib, uh, and it's used in other contexts, the same word to mean the, the whole side of or on the side of. So it was the whole half of Adam that, and I won't go into all the detail of what, the Hebrew means about what happened at that point in time, but simply that the Hebrew means um, that it was the whole side of Adam that was that um, in the Hebrew, not just the rib, that God made Eve, which makes her an equal complementary part of who mm. he is, not just an inferior small part. Mm. And even where it says, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, if it had just been a rib, it would have been bone of my bone. And that all mm. that's in the article... Uh, just explaining how that happens. So just that sense of uh, when you read commentaries, because I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I'm not a Greek scholar, but reputable people who understand, mm. godly people who understand the Hebrew and Greek can give you greater insights into, into those things. So that's really all I just want to use, those couple of examples. I've got about, yeah, there must be nearly 70 or 80 articles. There's things like reference to the seven spirits of God. What does that mean? 666 in Revelation. Is that really what it says? It's in our, it's in our translations uh, in English. That's what's put there. Did God really hate Esau? First, let, um, you know, it says, uh, don't bother to bury your father. Come and follow me. Is that what it really means? Sounds pretty unchristian, and I think it is. If we, some, I know people that do things like on the basis of this thing, oh, well, I'll just abandon my family and do what Jesus said. But when you read the context and the culture and what was happening the other day, you get, an, you get an understanding that is more in tune with the kind of Jesus that the Bible presents to us. So many examples, but I'll leave it at that. Mm. One other quote where, um, that I found that is also a Jewish poet said, reading the Bible in a translation is like kissing your bride through a veil. So it's still probably nice, but you aren't getting the full understanding of what could be, uh, what, you're not getting the full depth of what the experience could be. And I think when you get the general idea, as a, the other quote talks about, you get the tune when you listen to, you know, bark in, with just a harmonica, you get the basic tune, you get the basic message of scripture, that's the most important thing. But if you want the depth and understanding, then you can dig into through commentaries and if you're a, the kind of person that wants to study the Hebrew, you can dig into things. But 
Churches split over misunderstandings of the English in genuine desire to be faithfulness to the scriptures, mm. but often they've misunderstood because they're only looking at the English, e.g. the marriage, divorce thing. People get very legalistic about that. And that's a good example of how the Hebrew and the Greek can give you a, a, a more godly mm. perspective. Thanks, Robin. That's great. And if you could be, give my notes back, that would be wonderful too, because thou shalt not steal. Oh, there you go. Which ones do you want? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got it. Uh, it's all good. So, yeah, questions? The source of these is the Israel Bible Centre. I did a live online course. They're university level evangelical Christians who are Jews who are giving understanding. And there's whole, you can do whole courses, 40 lectures or 20 lectures, uh, and live online, or you can get them um, as audio. But Israel Bible Centre is, if you Google that. Thank you, that's great. So thanks, Robin. Very helpful. Let me once again encourage you to um, not be intimidated by language study, particularly if, if that's a bent for you. But the, the, as Robin said, the commentaries are so good and so helpful. A kind of rule of thumb that I've used over the years for me personally, I am not a great Greek scholar. I had to do Greek and Hebrew and all that, but I don't claim any great uh, prowess in, in either areas. I can... My Greek I've kept a bit, Hebrew, I, anyway, that's another story. Um, but when you're preparing something or you're studying something, if you don't know, who can you go to to ask a question that can help you? So when I was in Tasmania, one of, the, one of my fellow pastors was brilliant at Hebrew. And when I was working through some Hebrew stuff, I'd ring him up and say, can you tell me what that means? And he'd talk to me about it. So there's no shame in saying, oh, I don't know the answer to that, but can you help me? Um, because I didn't want to talk to people and tell them or teach or preach something that wasn't helpful or wrong, perhaps, or misleading. Um, but like Robin has said, people do it out of, you know, you read very genuinely, um, but sometimes a few uh, instructions in basic language can save us from a lot of problems. Um, but just going back to that translation thing, remember... And yes, it is, it is a translation. We talked about that last week, right? But the scholars have already made significant choices when they've made that translation. And as I said last week, look for the translations that, that for your study work that have a lot of scholars working on it. And if it takes them two years to work out where and should be in a sentence, there's a good reason for it. That's what you kind of look for. So they've kind of made that choice and you can trust it, basically. All right? And as I said, I read somewhere once, if you're not sure, line up a whole bunch of translations side by side and if one of them is at variance with it, you can guess that's probably at variance with what's in the text. The, the, the others are probably closer to the mark. As a rule of thumb, something like the New American Standard Bible is pretty literal. You talked about the rib and the side, Robin. One of the footnotes in the New, New American Standard Bible is that Eve corresponds to Adam which is exactly the point you're making. The Hebrew was making it very clear. And as even old Matthew Henry said way back, oh, this is coming out of, where, where's this all coming from? Um, he said, did you notice that he, um, he said rib, because that was his eeries 400 years ago, but basically saying God didn't make Eve above Adam so that she would be over him. 
He didn't make Eve below Adam so that Adam would suppress her. He made her to walk alongside. It's beautiful. It's quite exciting Bible study, isn't it? I mean, you'll think about that all night. You'll dream about it all night. All right, away we go. Here's the task until we, we go for a, a coffee break or whatever. In your notes, you've noticed that what I've said is um, I've, I've taken some the sections of the Old Testament. We're, we're going to be doing Old Testament tonight. Um, and I want to look at um, some of the issues that, that are for you when you read various parts of the Old Testament. For example... Uh, the first five books, Tidball calls it the foundational documents. So that's uh, Genesis and then the books of the law, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, by the way, just simply means the recapitulation. So Deuteronomy is the restating of all the other stuff you read in the law. So that's Leviticus, Numbers, um, uh, yeah, Leviticus, Leviticus and Numbers, basically just restating the law, okay? So we'll come to that in a bit more. So... We've got uh, the reading of that, then the narrative sections and the history sections, and then the books of uh, poetry, um, all of those, uh, and then finally the prophets. So I want you to, here we go, I would love for you to be involved in doing some work together. (laughs) That's a better way of putting that, wasn't it? So we've got four sections. What I'd like you to do in your group is share with others what are the issues, what are the questions, what are the ideas uh, that guide you when you come to reading or studying that particular section of God's Word, okay? What troubles you? What fascinates you? What encourages you? What are the impediments to understanding it? Um, and uh, what do you, what, because we're talking about discipleship, which is ultimately the aim of what we've been doing, how does that reading help you go deeper as a follower of Jesus? Okay, you with me? So we've got four sections and I want um, basically there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tables. So could some of you move, God's moving people, so we actually have four groups, okay? Because I'm not going to get you to go through the lot of them. I want one group to look at the first five books of the Bible, one group to look at law, another group to look at the writings, another group to look at the prophets, okay? So, is that possible? So, given there's, there's big bunches here, are you guys happy to do the Pentateuch and all that? Sure you are, that's great, thank you, fantastic. That's group one, group, we need a group two, so can a couple of you come over, can you make a group two to do that? Maybe if you guys could come and we can do a group three there and a group four there. So you guys would be doing the, the wisdom literature. Okay? And you guys are on the prophets. Good. There's some, some Hebrews, 11 pilgrims, sojourners moving across. So we should have, we should have uh, the Pentateuch. We should have... Uh, the narrative historical sections, we should have you, the, the, you group here doing the wisdom literature, so you might have to face one another, and the prophets over here. Okay, has everybody got a seat? I know I'm pushing you a little bit, but if we could, that would be great. 
Okay. Just, uh, we haven't got a lot of time to un unpack this. I'm trusting that you're finding it helpful. Uh, and I know that's probably around the tables. Um, we've raised more issues, more questions than we've got time to give answers for tonight. And hopefully it will stimulate us into thinking a little bit more about uh, more questions as time goes by because the more questions you ask the more you'll learn and, and grow. I just want to give a couple of moments in response to a question that Judy asked that while, I'm, while it's fresh in my mind uh, would be helpful for us all. The question in essence and Judy rephrase it if I get it wrong okay. The question basically was what do you do when you're talking to a non-Christian about your passionate belief in the Bible being the word of God? In other words you're talking about God's word and you're talking about your faith as a Christian. What are you doing? What do you do when you're talking to a non-Christian who is going to argue with you about that? How do you how do how do you respond? Is that fair enough? Yeah, they just say the Bible is a lot of Yep. Yep, and probably most of us in some way or another have encountered that kind of argument. The the first thing I would say is uh, you will never ever argue somebody to a kingdom of God perspective. It just doesn't work. You can, you can talk till the cows come home, so to speak, and, or whatever, blue in the face or whatever, whatever that means, and people, people will just love an argument. Um, let me illustrate by a, a little um, uh, uh, example, thing that actually uh, I witnessed. Years ago, I went to a conference called Amsterdam 2000, uh, run by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It was a conference for evangelists from around the world. One of the, one of the um, elective speakers was a guy called Josh McDowell. Anybody ever heard of Josh McDowell? Jo Josh McDowell is a Christian apologist. A Christian apologist is somebody who argues the case for the faith. And he's written quite a lot of stuff, quite helpful. Uh, he was a, a delightful man, probably in, in the day, around, around 60 um, here in this big auditorium, he was speaking to hundreds of us. And he talked about how in the day, he used, his main, was, main ministry was going to university campuses to talk to, people, to students about becoming Christians and so forth. And he, he was saying how in the early days of his ministry, the response to that was phenomenal. He would present an apology, for instance, about the, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, say it's absolute truth, these are my words, not his, but roughly the, the idea, and ask people to respond and people would flood by the hundreds, sort of, so to speak. And he said then suddenly he noticed that the, the rate of people responding was dropping off and by attrition people were basically not responding. And he, he said, what, what's wrong? Because it was the exact same presentation and all the rest of it. And then he, one, one time he decided that he'd start with his story. And he gave his personal testimony about how he came to know that Jesus was actually alive and, and talked about his faith from, from his own experience. And then he talked about the, the, the reality of it and, and gave an apology for it and suddenly people started responding. So I think basically you, the greatest tool for you if you want to talk about just the Bible, for instance, is to talk about your experience. Because we live in this post modern age, and you, if you know about modernity, post-modernity and stuff, we are, we are deeply afflicted with the Enlightenment 
And so our Western thinking is not in any of that sort of stuff. But if you start talking about your experience, people can't argue with it. And you move from that to actually facts and figures and whatever because then people start to hear. Arguing with people just doesn't work. That's, That's been my experience. But people love story. They love narrative. They love you talking about it. Whether they agree with you, they might say to you, look, Robin, that's a great story. That's your story and that's fine. You're happy, you know... It's okay for you to believe that. But then you've, got, you've built a bridge to actually talk to people about their story. Why is it that you actually believe there's ten gods or whatever? Because actually you will find, once you start pushing that a little bit, that people actually believe in lots of stuff. They just don't tell you. And they've never been invited. Nobody's ever said to them, talk about your story. Why, why is it that you have your beliefs? Because they actually do have beliefs. Even atheists have beliefs about God. Very strong ones. For the sake of time, I'm going to push on. Does that help? Okay. Um, we could talk about that for the next 20 minutes, whatever, but that will defeat the purpose. Now, I'm very indebted to Robin tonight because between the two of us, we're going to attempt from time to time to answer some of the questions that might come up, okay? So we're going to start with... Now, I've talked to Robin before. It's all good. It's all clear. And if we don't get through it all tonight, well, so be it. We'll try to clear it up next week. We're going to start uh, with the first five books, as Tidball says, the foundational documents. And you'll have to excuse me ahead of time for being rude because if I chop you off, it's because we need to move on. All right? So, microphone probably would be um, moderately helpful because, because you'll go on podcast and somebody might listen to you in Alaska. All right? So just tell us a little bit, what did you guys discover about reading and studying this? What, what were the things that jumped out? Um, okay. Uh, so one of the things that, um, I think those of us who have read it really enjoyed um, and something we discussed was how it gives a lot of context to um, later narratives and stories of the Bible. There's a lot of information in there about why certain things are done or even... Um, yeah, things like that, or even context to why certain information is given in the Bible. Um, because, yeah, every Jewish child, Jewish child, memorised um, the first five books of the Bible, so the Torah. Um, and so all the information that's in there is obviously super important to them. Um, and so there's a reason for it. Um, for example, stuff like um, genealogies um, are really important because they indicate, for one example, um, ownership of the land um, and who the land actually returned to and belonged to um, in the year of the Jubilee, um, which was pretty cool. Um, There's uh, something I really enjoyed about uh, the book of Leviticus was its literary style in how it gives a set of laws and then gives an example of how they broke said laws, um, which is really cool. And, yeah, there's just lots of examples of God's love and grace and forgiveness. Okay. I'd really like those last two words because here's something about that that'll be really helpful for Robin. And come and join us, Robin, or, or you're happy to sit down, however you want to handle it. It's all good. Um, I'm really glad you talked about law and grace because a lot of the encounters that we have, not only with ourselves but other people and even those who are 
uh, believers is that the God of the Old Testament was mean, wicked, uh, harsh, judgmental and all the rest of it. The God of the New Testament turns into this really loving character. That's actually not true. And the law, the first five books of the Bible make that very clear. So when you're reading it, what are you actually looking for? What, what do you want to hear? Those are the sort of questions you... Uh, so, well, I'm using the plural you here. Please don't, miss, don't you, you get me. Um, the, the, you know, we are, we are privileged because we have the full Bible. It's been made into what they, the, the canon of Scripture has been formed. Well, canon simply means the rule. These books are in and these books are out. You need to read some background stuff about that. But we have the form scripture. We have 2,000 plus years of church history, right? So, and we, we have the wonderful privilege of being able to read the New Testament. So the early believers, by that I'm talking people pre-Jesus, looked forward to Jesus coming and we look back to Jesus having come. You with me? That's really important. So the writers of the epistles and others pull out stuff for us that help us understand the Old Testament. So here's the old one. One of the reasons the law is given is that it acts as um, a, the old term in Galatians uh, 4 was the schoolmaster, but the, the translation of that is actually a word called pedagogus. It, um, it, it, it means the, the one who is like uh, a personally tutored person so Sarah's going to school and, and uh, she has the Pythagogus who lives in her life as the one to make sure she learns her lessons, right? And the aim of the law is to teach us lessons about God's covenant. And when we break covenant, then um, we need somebody to redeem us and it points us to Jesus. Does that make sense? Are you following what I'm saying? So we have this wonderful privilege of looking back at these passages with those insights. So the law primarily is a love document. Yeah, sure, it gets down in minutiae in terms of hygiene, community, all that sort of stuff. But when you're reading it, you know, understand it wasn't actually written to you in the first instance. It was written to the Jewish people. It was written to Israel. Okay? I'm watching time, so I'm going to keep moving along. But I'm sure there's plenty of questions uh, skimming around there. Do you want to add to that? Yeah, oh, just very quickly. It, ge- it gets back to one of those articles which you've got an example of. God's grace and the law of Moses. There's um, a quote by Augustine that says, the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. And there's That's a great. verse uh, that was Augustine. John 1.17 says, for the law came through Moses. The word but, it says but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ which makes it sound like one's bad and one's good and that's how we tend to interpret it and most of the translations say that but here's the here's let me read the same verse which is saying what John's just been saying um, John 1:17, with the Greek and the Hebrew all expressed where it says law it should refer to the Torah came through Moses and unfailing love and truthfulness came through Jesus Christ the grace and truth of God can be clearly seen in the, law, in the Torah of Moses, while in the Jewish Christ they are displayed to the uttermost degree. So do you see it's not an either-or, it's that mm. idea, mm. there's one word, but, which tends to make us think, oh, the law's bad and 
Jesus is good and we don't need the law anymore, but that idea that it's both are a revelation. So there's one little word that can reinforce a mm. false understanding. Absolutely. So the other thing is, why did Jesus come? Yes, it came to die for you and all, get all that right, but he actually said of himself that he came to do what for the law? For what? Fulfill it. Now, the schoolmaster teaches us that we don't have, quote, quote, a snowball's chance in hell of fulfilling the law. Anybody messed up today in any way at all? Guilty as charged? You know, but that just drives us to our knees to say we need the Redeemer. We need the salvation that's offered. So the law points us to Jesus. But, it, but Jesus says the law's not going to be thrown out. It's just fulfilled. So I, people, I think some of Jeff Bingham's people have written about it. It's, it's, the law is love. A loving God gives us the Ten Commandments, not a vengeful God. Okay? So you've got lots to, when you're reading it, we'll need, move on to the next section, time alone. I mean, we could be or, uh, for, for ages on this. But there are some difficult, pa- just to say, there are some difficult passages. For instance, if you read Deuteronomy 14.21, which everybody knows by heart, but let me just tell you what it says. It says, in essence, thou shalt not, or do not boil a mother's kid, uh, don't boil a kid goat in its mother's milk. Now, when you read that in your daily devotion, you say, that's very helpful for me today. How am I going to go and turn it into kid stew or something? You know, that was a joke, bad one. Um, but the reality is that, um, why is that there? And you think, goodness me. So Fee and Stuart talk about, there were certain practices that were happening in the pagan nations around about Israel that were associated with their religious practice. One of them was doing exactly that. And the law says don't do that. In other words, we don't, I don't want my people capitulating to the evil religious practices of the people around about me. Does that make sense? When I read that, I thought, I've puzzled about that verse for years. It doesn't make any sense. And there's other places as well. You know, you don't... Yeah, you get, you're getting it, what I'm saying? So rem, I really encourage you once again to get hold of Fee and Stuart. Very, very helpful section. Okay, let's talk about the next one, which is the... Un, you guys did narrative. Um, what's this business about the stories, reading the narratives? What sort of issues would we look at there? Anybody? Um, so we talked about a few things. Um, is that it's... Oh, I was just briefly, just so people can hear. Keep going. Yeah. Um, we were saying it's a really interesting part of the Old Testament, um, and in terms of reading, it reads best when you get the whole story. So, yep. um, in bigger chunks. Um, the line up to Jesus is really interesting as well. And then going into the stories themselves, um, we spoke about how it can be quite challenging seeing the violence that goes on um, yep. and understanding yeah, God's wrath and how that um, can be interpreted because a lot of the time that can be an argument thrown against you. Yes. Um, we also talked about all the heroes and the inspiration of lots of characters within the, uh, within the stories. Um, but I think, yeah, we are saying how it's really um, cool to see how, 
imperfect these people were um, and even though God was working so much through them, they did just really stupid, sinful things like we do, so it's quite relatable in that way. Um, and, yeah, you do see God's grace and God's mercy in all of those stories, um, which is really cool. Um, hmm. Yeah, we were talking with you about how the God's always the hero through all the stories and, yeah, just getting that Love understanding that. of God's um, being overarching everything that happens. Um, whether we think it's good or bad, God, God works through that. Um, yeah. You've done, done really, really well. Um, all those points are so, so helpful and, and so valid. Um, Tidball calls it the unfolding story. So a lot of the narrative is, is when we use the word story, it's not, it's not story, uh, what, um, fairy tale. It's actually the historical story of what God's been doing. So as you read it and as you continue to read it and as you continue to read it, you get it embedded in your thinking after a while and you see how God has been working through history. So there's another word that you might want to write in your notes called salvation history. Much of the Bible is the story of God, God's plan for salvation for humanity. It's the history of salvation and it unfolds bit by bit. A lot of it's about God's progressive revelation of himself and of his character. So um, narrative is really good. Um, one thing about narrative is to remember that the narrative wasn't actually written to you in the first person. <laughs> it was written to God's people. By the way, you can look up parts of Psalm. If, give me a scripture in the book of Acts around about chapter 7. Have you read that recently? If you want the history of Israel in, uh, in 50-something verses, it's there. It's the death, the martyrdom of, of, of Stephen. And he puts this potted history of what, how God's been working through the ages. Brilliant. Robin, over to you. Anything you want to say about narrative? No, only to say I think it's good to have that short summary because it doesn't matter what I study, if I can get a short summary, it helps me put, build on the deeper understanding. So it's just, yeah, that... Yeah, it's just great to read in the scriptures that short summary that allows us to read the Old Testament, New Testament as a full story. It's brilliant. Sorry, your name again? Sharon. Sharon, I loved one point you made about God being the hero. God is always the hero of the story. We got it from you. Yeah. Oh, I said we got it from you. Oh, well, I love that point, double point. <laughs> but God is the hero. Um, we did a series in one church called Zero to Hero and we, we, oh, we went for weeks just going through biblical characters and we'd, we deliberately got some of the more obscure ones. Like one of the heroes I preached about was Rahab. Do you know who Rahab is? What was Rahab famous for? Yeah, which means that the cord was a particular colour. What was it? What, what did it signify? Keep going. Oh, Whew. it was a symbol of her trade. <laughs> but, but the reality was, Rahab was a prostitute, and when when she when and the story unfolds about how 
Israel is conquering Canaan, or Canaan, however you want to pronounce it. And, and the spies go in, in contrast to the spies of 40 years previously, and they go in with faith and say, we're coming. And she says, I know you people are coming. We've actually, we're terrified by, what's, by what Israel will do because we've heard. And she said, will you protect me? And they said, yes, we will. And so Joshua made sure they were faithful to that promise, which they did. So when Jericho fell, Rahab and her family were spared. So guess what? Here's the, here's the thing. She ends up being in the genealogy of Jesus. How good's that? And she ends up in a chapter 11 of Hebrews in the Hall of Fame as being one of the people that we should look at as a person of faith. How good's all that? We could go all night. Got to go to the next section over here, which was you guys were looking at wisdom. Is that correct? Okay. Okay, just very, very briefly, the wisdom, the, these are the books of poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, blah, blah, and all the rest of it. We could, again, we could spend years in this. I think uh, some of the things that were raised on our table, um, one was kind of looking at uh, the book of Job and, and potentially the difficulty in reading that. Um, you know, being about suffering, uh, as well as uh, potentially Ecclesiastes. Um, you know, kind of, I guess another, you know, another book about you know meaningless uh, and life is meaningless. Um, so potentially they're two challenging books to read. Um, and you know, someone raised at the table that that might be difficult to read if you're kind of a you know new Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did we talk about? Uh, the Psalms uh, being, you know, encouraging um, and, you know, kind of describing the highs and lows of, you know, someone's faith. Um, so that's kind of like really authentic. Um, we also uh, talked about Proverbs being down to earth, practical advice. Yep. Um, and uh, Song of Solomon uh, kind of being a, positive affirmation of, you know, sexuality yep. and, uh, you know, kind of being like a love song and, um, you know, God communicating, you know, that he's, he's designed uh, sex in, you know, in the way in which it was intended. It's a healthy thing. Um, what else did we discuss? You've done really well. Yeah, well, that's some of the notes I've written. Yeah, well, I... It's, a lot of it's called the wisdom literature and we haven't got time to deal with some of the poetic forms. Uh, Hebrew poetry does what they call parallelism, which is the first line of the, the poem will express something and then it will be followed, expressed in slightly different form, but immediately the same thought expressed again to reinforce it. So you get a lot of that in Psalms. Um, but I like your summary. It's uh, really, really helpful. People love the wisdom literature, yeah? And I think one of the reasons that we love it when we read it is it just is pretty raw and authentic and speaks to our stuff. So, you know, we're going through a bad time and we'll go to the Psalms or the Proverbs or somewhere where it kind of echoes deep calls. Actually, one of the Psalms says deep calls to deep. So the depth in, the huma- in humanity calls to God. So there's all of that. Um, 
The Psalms were the were, were, the Psalms simply means hymns, so they're actually expressions of worship. But when you're reading them, there's some pretty gutsy, raw stuff in there to sort out. You you wouldn't uh, sing Psalm 137 in your church service. I've not really never known too many people to do that. Do you know what's in Psalm 137? Well, it's about it's an exile psalm. It's talking about the pain of being away from, the, from Jerusalem. And it's a lament. You know, Boney M sung a song about it years back. That's how old I am. But the last line talks about the, psalms, the psalmist's passion for the house of God in Jerusalem and the temple. And it come, without me, I won't quote it correctly, but it's basically the intimation is, I wish all the kids were smashed and blah, blah. It's in the book. So you've got to come to terms with some of those things which are to us. We say, what's going on there? Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? So you've got to unpack that as you're reading and, and grapple with it and wrestle with it. So it's not always easy, nice, cushy, lovely stuff that we're reading. It's actually talking about the pain people are feeling when they're far away from God. Throw to Robin for a couple of minutes and then we've got about two minutes to finish the last section unless you give me an extension of time. No, it's fine. Have you got anything to say on this one? Only, yeah, in terms of just a very brief comment, I think I used to read some of the Psalms and even the one about dashing children against the rocks. The Psalmist would say, I wish that God would do that sort of thing. I used to partly read it as it was the kind of thing God would do. And, but then I, as I read it as the Psalmist expressing the intense emotion and pain mm. and anger and mm. frustration, I could accept that it was in the Scriptures as just honesty before God, not something that actually God intended to do or would do or exactly. was saying God should do. Um, so it was a big shift while I was reading it as though some of the things that are said are, this is what God will do. It really almost destroyed my faith. But when I read it as just being honest before God, it was very liberating. So, mm. But I think, yeah. We... That's very helpful, Robin, very helpful actually, because we will grapple with it. Um, are you happy for us just to go a couple of minutes over to finish the last section? This is the most profound group that we've got. Here we are. We've got the prophets. We, we just had a good chat. <laughs> um, thought, we thought that it was... Um, 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 well, the minor prophets or major prophets, we started off with that and who decided, and we decided that really didn't matter <laughs> for us because um, we just thought that they were all just an interesting bunch of um, uh, people with challenging lives, let's say. Um, we thought that um, we probably wouldn't want to be a prophet because they weren't probably the most popular people. They often had difficult things and challenging things to say um, to people and they didn't often want to be heard and um, they had uh, lives of, of great struggle, really. Um, what else did we say? Oh, we thought it was um, God is consistent. That we thought that the, his message of, of his message of, of warning and encouragement and correction uh, was all to do because he was a loving God who wanted his people to be drawn back to him. So uh, it was he was very consistent over the centuries, regardless of who the prophet was. Um, and the message was all kind of very similar. So we thought that he was very a very patient father 
thousands and thousands of years he's saying mm. the same thing. Mm. And we just thought, oh, my God, it's just like, you know, he's like the patient father with the terrible toddler. You know, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. That sort of thing. Um, and, and, and how um, nothing new under the sun. Yep. That what they were being told is still things that are kind of happening today. And even despite the cultural differences of thousands of years. Yep. Sin is sin. Human struggle is human struggle. Human nature is human nature. And just is very... We found it very sort of encouraging um, that even things we have today were still experienced back then. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a good point, Brenton. What was that? You I don't. What one? All right. You've done yeah, good. That sort of thing. And, um, yeah. And we just, oh, well, look, we thought we really needed to give Hosea a big hug when we get to heaven. Yeah, he's a great guy, Hosea. Because we thought, gosh, he kind of yep. pulled the short straw, didn't he? I mean, I mean, having to marry a, 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 such an unfaithful prostitute of a woman and keep having to take her back all as an example of of our relationship with God but at the time did they get it yep. and I think that was the point is that we we read all of these things so many thousands of years ago but we read it in hindsight with the Correct. scripture to balance it out yep. but those people at that time were speaking about Correct. things that were coming and they they didn't necessarily have the Bible that we have and, and they, they didn't. didn't have a lot of the resources and the perspective and context that we've got. So we just thought, you know, kudos and congrats to all the prophets. What a what a tough life, we thought. And, yeah, and Hosea needs a hug. Thanks, Beth. Really good job. Well said. And let me just sum up with a couple of things and we'll pray and be on our way because I don't want to... I did ask for an extension of time and, and don't want to break that. Just a very a question the group asked me when I was walking around. What's the difference between a major and a minor prophet? The only difference is the major prophets wrote more. Okay, There's nothing else to, to it. But do remember there are two kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. You've got the writing prophets and the prophets who didn't write anything. The, so the writing prophets were just saying a lot of the stuff that the non-writing prophets... There are lots and lots of prophets, false and true prophets in, this, in the Old Testament revelation. A prophet is just simply one who speaks God's word. Hears from God, men and women, by the way, just not men, hear from God and speak God's word directly to his people. And most prophecy is about how you're living God's covenant now. There, is, there are elements of predictive stuff in prophecy, but when you, when you get modern day people hunting for end time stuff, that's a whole different area. So Jeremiah had God's word in his mouth. He was put in his mouth. I can't speak, he says. Oh, don't worry, I'll give you the word to speak. All right? And basically, prophecy is about calling God's people back to living the covenant. Lots of issues about justice, the way you treated the poor, the way you lived out your faith if you believed in Yahweh. So there was no good going to the temple and saying, the temple, the temple of the Lord, and then doing all the wrong stuff. But there's always the promise of renewal, restoration and revival and love and grace, which is what you were talking about. And for the sake of time, we just have to stop there. Um, I'd love to talk, Robin would love to talk more about the whole justice issues. The minor prophets spend so much time on that. They really, really do. But so do the major guys, you know, and... Often, often God will say, you can do whatever you wanted, but if you're not living like that, so don't tell me you know me. When that's a na- but 
Warning is always followed with grace and love. And even the exile is followed with grace and love. The good thing when we're reading that is to get those messages and live it out. Father, we thank you for uh, our time tonight. Thank you that you're here. Um, Thank you for helping us. Um, As we come back next week, would you just bless us as we think about some of the things that we've spoken of, but more importantly, as the days, the weeks and the months unfold in our lives, we want to be those who go deeper with our Lord Jesus. Thank you once again, Lord, that you died for us because we're blown away by that. You fulfilled that law. You made it possible for us to enter into the presence of the Holy Father. And we're just awed. Bless the church, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks, everybody. That was a good time. Next week in preparation, if you do a little bit of thinking about the New Testament documents, we're going to have a look at the Gospels and the letters particularly, okay? And even if you get time to read Luke 15, that might be a blessing. God bless you all. Have fun. Drive safely.